Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Well, we're talking uh, about Old Testament characters. Second Chronicles 26. You want to try and find your way there? Reading history is both uh, entertaining and educational, isn't it? It's interesting and it's also in, instructive and informative. We learn about lives that, on one hand, were lived so long ago in a totally different setting, and yet we learn stuff that we can apply to our lives in our own setting today. And we can learn what not to do from some people, and from other lives we, we learn things that we want to emulate and follow. And the kings in the Old Testament have both of these lessons for us. Right from the, from the start, the very first king, you read in First Samuel about King Saul. And uh, you learn more what not to do from Saul, don't you? And then after him, uh, David was his successor. And David, although he was far from perfect, uh, teaches us more what to do because he was, uh, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. And so there's a model for us all. And you read about him in First Samuel, Second Samuel. And then we read about David's king, uh, David's son Solomon. And he was, um, you know, a wise and brilliant king. He did some great things, but of course he, um, he had a fatal flaw. He got caught up in just a few too many relationships and all his wives and concubines led his heart away from God. And so there's a lesson for us. And, and then after Solomon, the kings, the kingdom of Israel splits into two. And you've got 12 original tribes of Israel and the 10 northern tribes become the kingdom of Israel and the two southern tribes... Judah and Benjamin become known as Judah. So now you've got two lines of kings and you read about them in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And the kings of Israel from the northern tribes were generally bad and God warned them through prophets but eventually judged them and said um, you, you, they, they didn't follow God, they led other gods, little g, gods uh, lead them away and lead the people away from God and so God allowed them to be overrun by a foreign nation and most of them taken off into captivity. And the southern tribes, the kings of Judah, were slightly better. Some of them were really good kings. Some were a bit of good, a bit of bad. And, but eventually, again, God warned them, had prophets warn them, but their hearts weren't right. They weren't following God. And so he took his hand of blessing off the nation. And the uh, Babylonians this time came in, overran them, sacked Jerusalem, and took people off to um, Babylon. And, uh, and so along the way, you read about different kings. And the one we're looking at today is in Second Chronicles 26. And here's a king who's generally classified as a good king, who displays good qualities, things that we can learn from. But he's also got a major character flaw that's just as instructive for us to avoid. And, uh, and so there's good news and bad news about this guy. And this guy is King Uzziah. And so I want you to read with me in Second Chronicles 26. From verse 3, it says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. 
He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Just stop there for a moment. Notice he's only 16 when he's crowned king, which is about, the scholars have figured out for us, about 783 B.C., just to put it in a time frame. He reigned 52 years. That's the second longest reign of all the kings of Judah or Israel. And notice it says in verse 4, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Did you see that phrase? Now that's the unique thing about Bible history. You don't just read facts about someone's life, but you get God's perspective on their life. Every king that you read about in the Bible has a brief record of the facts of their life, their political achievements, their military accomplishments, the buildings that they built, the decisions they made. But then there's also this kind of heavenly uh, epitaph attached to the record of them, which gives us a reflection on their life from God's perspective. So, for example, you'll read uh, Jotham. Jotham did right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. But then Jehoram was another king, and you'll read Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just like that, just this blanket statement. And in fact, it gets worse. It, it, when you read about Jehoram, it says right at the end, he passed away to no one's regret. That's a bit of a sad reflection at the end of your life, isn't it? Like I said, you can learn what not to do. Whatever he did, read it and figure out, I don't want to do that. Hopefully someone's going to regret when you go. And notice that phrase, in the eyes of the Lord. See, God's view is the one that counts. And it's not always the same as other people's view. In fact, often it's quite different. You know, some of those kings might have thought, well, I'm pretty successful in their own estimation, in their own view, in the view of some others. But they're judged in the Bible as having failed if they didn't seek God or follow God or do what God called them to do or lead people to God like they were supposed to. And so I think right there, the, you know, the point is that God's the only one watching who really matters. And he's watching us. And so are others and people make their comments. But you might do what someone thinks is wrong, but if God says it's right, then it's good. Then do it. You agree? Because it's in the eyes of the Lord that counts. And Paul says that in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, he says this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I, I do not even judge myself. It's the Lord who judges me. And that's not to say that we've become independent and disconnected and we don't care what people say whatsoever. But ultimately, we're listening to what God says. We're looking to see what God approves. We're following where God is leading. Amen? And that's what is really important. In the eyes of the Lord. And as I said, you read all these kings and there'll always be a statement that says, in the eyes of the Lord, they did good or evil. And God's got a pretty uh, strong estimation and summation of their life. And then look in verse 5. It says, he sought God. He sought God. Now, I just want you to think about that too. That's a phrase that you read about plenty of times in the Bible. Come on, it says, come on, seek the Lord while he may be found. Stir up the fallow ground. Seek God's face. He sought God or he didn't seek God. And uh, you can read that and just gloss over it, but just stop for a moment and think, what does that mean? What does that look like? What did it look like for Uzziah? 
What difference did it make for his life to seek God? What was he doing to seek God? And for yourself, more importantly, what does that look like in your life, in your lifestyle? How do you seek God? When do you seek God? As opposed to not seeking God or seeking after other things. Hey, there's plenty of things to go chasing after, isn't there? There's plenty of interesting apps and shows and distractions and downloads and busy schedules and appointments and meetings and people and and we can find ourselves seeking after that appointment or that entertainment option or that business deal or that connection or the and sometimes you you might have to make a sacrifice to see, to not seek something so that you can seek God what are you sacrificing to seek God you know, do you just sort of stumble out of bed at the very last minute and just roll into the car and drive to work or school or uni? Or, you know, maybe, you know, eat in a muesli bar or something? Or, or do maybe you go to bed a little earlier and not Twitter all night or Facebook all night into the early hours? You know, maybe do you just discipline yourself and go to bed a little earlier so you can get up a little earlier so you can seek God, so you can pray? So you can actually sit before God with a Bible, read something and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I'm looking to you. Say something to me. Show me something. And just spend 15, 20, 30 minutes in the morning seeking God. That's what it can look like. A life that is seeking God means not seeking something else, a sacrifice of something else to make some time, to find some time, to create some time in your schedule to seek God. And then you'll find things work out. And, uh, you know, this is a theme that's reiterated time and time again in Scripture, isn't it? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And that's so true. You know, I've followed the Lord for more than 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, wow, it's sobering, isn't it? Uh, and, and in my own life and other lives that I've observed... You find people who are God seekers, who are prioritizing, who are maybe sacrificing some things to say, I'm going to find God. They end up, it works out. They get blessed. You know, and there's stuff that comes along that you could seek after. Oh, but he's so good looking. Yeah, but is he seeking God? Is it working? You're in the same. Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. Oh, but, you know. So maybe that means you're going to seek God, not seek the hunky dude, you know. And and so there's d- distractions and opportunities. I'm talking to the ladies just in that example. I just want to qualify that, okay? Uh, and so, right? um, and hey, seek first the Lord, seek first the kingdom. Maybe you'll get a Christian guy who is a hunky dude. And there is some, you know, good on you. Thanks, babe. Yeah. Right on cue. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, I look around, pretty hunky. Look, Charlotte, look, he's 40 and he looks just 21. With you. Look at him, got a country boy, great big, yes, right? So, uh, you know, that, that theme time and time again, you know, in all your ways acknowledge the Lord and he will make your path straight. If you abide in the Lord, you will bear much fruit. You know, there's success and blessing that comes when people seek God. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Just prioritizing. And that's what Uzziah was doing at that time of his life. It says he sought God. And notice it says he sought God during the days of Zechariah. 
who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. Well, who's Zechariah? He's a prophet, but do you realize that's the only reference to him in the whole Bible? Now, there's plenty of other Zechariahs. In fact, there's 31 Zechariahs in the Bible. I counted them. But this is the only reference to this one. It's kind of the Bruce of the Old Testament if you're a country person. You know, John, just a common... Uh, but this guy, it's the only time he's ever mentioned. And all it says is that Isaiah the king sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And so this guy was a prophet who had the king's ear and that's all we know. And it just goes to show greatness has got nothing to do with fame because he lived his life in the shadow of a king. And that's all we have, just his name, just that little statement. And yet he fulfilled his calling from the sounds of it by instructing the Lord, instructing the king. And the king did well because although he was a king, part of seeking God is receiving instruction from other people, being humble, being teachable. And, you know, being teachable is perhaps the best character trait of all because whatever other character trait you don't have, you can learn. And if you're not teachable, you'll learn nothing. And to be teachable means you, you are able to learn something from everyone and that you've got a humble heart. And, I, you know, I can remember Frank Houston saying many years ago that a guy came up to him and said, he was struggling, obviously, with his identity and the fact that Pastor Frank Houston was the, the, the big wig. I was going to say big wig. He was only four foot two, so he wasn't that big. But, you know, the preacher and the guy. And the guy said, you can't teach me anything. Just out of the blue. And Frank Houston said, you're exactly right. I just realised that's the problem for you. You, you. you won't be able to learn anything from me or anyone else with that kind of attitude. But we can learn stuff from people if we're humble. We can get input. And I don't just mean a pat on the back, you're doing well, we all want that, encouragement. With the right relationships, with the right time, you've got to have people who you can honestly say, I could cope with a rebuke from. And not just run away and say, Didums, where's mummy? I'm going home. Because unfortunately, too many growing ups do that. And God's trying to teach them something, but hey, they've gone. And I didn't learn anything, you know. But you, who's, who in your life can rebuke you? Now, of course, all the wives are going, yeah, come on. <laughs> Little elbow, come on, sweetie. See, the preacher's saying, this is good. You've got to be able to handle it. And it's true. If you're married, your spouse, you know they love you, and so in the right time, five encouragements, one little bit of input, five encouragements, cup of coffee and chocolate, and then maybe just a little gentle, you know, you've got to package it well, but you should be able to say something about their life that needs to change. And in church family, you don't have to be married, you've still got family, spiritual family, and hopefully natural family too, where there's enough deposits of love in the bank there's enough connection, there's enough bridge building, there's enough relationship and trust for someone to be able to say, listen, I'm, I want to tell you this, and I, it's for your good, I want to tell you that you're not doing that right, or that course of action you're about to take is really not on, or I don't think you should be associating with that person, or you you know, need to really address this area. I gotta, and instead of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to hear, you know, you know, you've got to be able to suck it up and say, well, wow, gee, what do you mean? Tell me more. Uh, you know, or at least qualify. Are you sure? Does anyone else think that? And it's not just slander. It's not just upset, aggression. It's, there's a, a heartfelt concern. And so 
the uh, the king here had that at least for a season in his life, and the, and there and Zechariah would have come to him and said, King. Don't do this decision or you've got to address that. It wouldn't have just been, yeah, good on you, king. Yeah, go for it. Sure, yeah, I'm sure there were times of challenge where, well, king, with respect, I know you could lop my head off for this, but I've got to tell you, that's a dud decision or you've got to address this. Oh, really? You know, and in humility, the king was receiving instruction. And as I mentioned, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. That's how it works. Isn't that awesome? What a great, that's a very simple equation. That's played out in every life throughout history. As long as you seek God, he will bless your life, give you success, help you to be fruitful, have a great time. Just keep seeking God. There's the message. And then you read about his successes. Read down from, from verse 6. It says he goes to war against the Philistines. So he was successful there. He rebuilt towns. In verse 7, uh, it helped him against the Arabs. And he uh, fought against the Meonites and then the Ammonites. They brought tribute to him. And it says his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he'd become very powerful. Verse 8 tells us how he um, built up the defenses in Jerusalem and how he built towers, dug cisterns. It talks about his uh, agricultural success. He had many livestock. He had people working in the fields and the vineyards, in the hills, in the fertile lands. He loved the soil. So he was you know, passionate and developing the agriculture of his country. Look at verse 11. It says he had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions. Uh, what he did was he had a professional army, which hadn't been done much because traditionally they'd have part-time Soldiers, where they'd be farmers and then they'd be called to war. And so two things would happen. They would leave the farm so the agriculture would be upset and they'd often have their own homemade tools. So there's, you know, farmer Jethro digging away with his shovel. Next thing, he's trying to bash the bad guys with his shovel and it's not as effective. What the king did here, Uzziah gave them weaponry designed and built for that purpose and he equipped a professional army so they were able to you know defend the the country in advance um and then in verse 15 it just talks more about the fact that he was quite a visionary leader he made devices invented it says for use on the towers and the corner defenses so soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls so whether he invented them himself or he employed others, it just says he made devices that were invented for this use. So, again, his fame spread far and wide. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. So there's the good news. But, but, here's the bad news. But, verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. So just stop there for a moment. You know, there was a real delineation back then. These days, we're all called kings and priests. We're all ministers of God. We've all got direct access to God through the blood of Jesus. You know, the, we have the, the priesthood of all believers. And so we have people called to 
preaching gifts and leadership gifts, church governmental positions. But that's not to say we can't all approach God on our own. But back then, there was very much a delineation of roles and he crossed it. And so he showed disrespect for God's order. And so we can all directly access God, but there's still ways that we do that and the ways we work with God and with his church and and other people that show respect for God. And I was saying that earlier today, you know, like, hey, it's daylight saving and the rain's pouring down, but you're in the house of God. Not just because, oh, I feel like it today. No, I'm here to honor God. That's what I do. I'm, I'm part of, I'm his church. It's what I do. And whether, you know, there's any blessing in your giving, your serving time-wise or your money giving or whatever, you do it because, hey, it's not about me. I'm a servant of the Lord. I want to honor him. And so that's the kind of respect and heart attitude that we need to maintain. And Uzziah had that for a season, but then he got proud and it led to this unfaithful spirit, this sort of uh, proud, I'll be okay, I can do it, I don't need you priests, get out of my way, I'll just go into God's presence without you. And as I said, we can, we can do that ourselves in the New Testament, but the equivalent for us of that would be some kind of disrespect to the ways of God that we could still had, have in our heart. Now, verse 16, sorry, verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry because they were rebuking him. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried out. Sorry, they hurried him out. They hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. I think that's hilarious, personally. I think that God's got a great sense of humor. Indeed, he was eager to leave. You, you bet he was eager to leave because he was getting leprosy. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Uzziah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. What a shame. What a tragedy. It reads so well early on, doesn't it? It's just like two different lives. We don't know at what point that incident happened when his heart rose up. It might have been, he might have been the first guy to have a midlife crisis. We, we, we don't know. He, he, you know, he started at 16. He, he, he reigned 52 years. So at 68, he should have died, which was a, a long life back then. He should have died happily, reflecting on his successes, training his successor, enjoying the fruits of his labor and, and just being involved in maybe an advisory position for his son if he wanted to give him the throne early but didn't have to and so all the options could have and 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 yet somewhere along the line who knows at what point he took it on himself to just enter the temple and burn incense in that unfaithful disrespectful way and his pride is the problem as, as long as he sought God he got success but, but pride says now I don't need to seek God he got successful so he says I'm okay now and that pride 
You know, pride leads us away from God. Humility takes us to God. Pride. And you don't have to be a king to be proud. Anyone can be proud. And, uh, and I mean, Satan was proud. That led to his downfall. And ever since, right through human history, anyone who's followed Satan's example, Lucifer as he was, said, it said he was proud and puffed up and thought better of himself than being just an angel of God. You know, if it's left unchecked, anyone that follows that same spirit will follow Satan all the way to an eternity without God. And, and right through the Bible, there's a warning about pride. Let's just hear about that for a moment. The book of Proverbs, I'll read a few. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will, re- will retain honor. Proverbs 18:12. before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 3:34. God mocks or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, that scripture, that appears three times in the Bible because both James and Peter repeat it and reinforce it. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, verse 5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Listen to Second Timothy chapter 3, talking about these New Testament times and the end of the New Testament times. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Wow. It's a whole kettle of problems. And pride's right smack in the middle of it. People loving themselves and not God. People thinking, I'm okay without God. Listen to what the great... Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, said and wrote about pride. Pride is a groundless thing. It stands on the sands which yield beneath its tread. Or worse still, it stands on bubbles which soon must burst beneath its feet. Of all things, pride has the worst foothold. It has no solid rock on earth whereon to place itself. We have reasons for almost everything, but we have no reason for pride. Pride is a thing which should be unnatural to us, for we have nothing to be proud of. What is there in man of which we should glory? Our very creation is enough to humble us. Our frailty should be sufficient to lay us low, for we shall be gone tomorrow. There is no other vice which is more frequently and more emphatically condemned in Scripture. So I was saying how you know, being teachable is a great character quality because you learn everything else. Pride has got to be the worst character quality because it'll keep you from everything good. It'll keep you from God. And if you... You know, juxtapose pride and humility, you can see really in a raw sense what we really want to avoid and what we really want to emulate and follow. Because pride says one thing, humility says another, doesn't it? In our heart, you feel sometimes a a tension or a, a calling to both at the same time. Puff yourself up or put yourself down like we heard over communion. A spirit that considers others better than yourselves. And you feel the Holy Spirit say, come on, consider them better than yourself. And immediately a voice inside says, why? They're not better than me. They should consider me better than them. You know, there's these little, two little characters, like 
you know, Walt Disney, the little guy sitting on my shoulder, you know. And the call of God says, no, no, humility says, consider them better. The pride says, no way. And pride says, look at me. But humility says, look to God. Pride says, I've arrived. But humility says, I'm still growing. Pride says, I don't need to know that. Or I know that already. But humility says, no, no, I can learn that. I can learn something. I can learn something from everyone. Pride says, I'm going to do it on my own. Humility says, no, I need God's help. Pride says, listen to me. Humility says, tell me more and ask questions. Pride says, I've done it all by myself. And humility says, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. Pride says, how can I improve my life? But humility says, how can I serve God? How can I bless others? And they're the sort of voices that we hear on the inside, the conflict sometimes. And Uzziah's pride, it says, it led to him being unfaithfulness. Unfaithful to God's commands because pride says, I can do it my way. I don't need God. And, and so unfaithfulness is, is another big one to avoid, isn't it? You know, we need to maintain a faithfulness to God and humility will help us do that. A faithfulness to our spouse, to our family, to our friends, to our church, to our commitments, to God's call on our life. And um, as I said, you know, he, he should have finished off a lot better uh, in his final years. But instead, you know, he ended up from, from royalty to leprosy. And that's a tragedy. 20 years ago, Stephen Covey wrote a very popular book. And you've probably heard of it. You may have read it, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he, uh, at one stage, has a very powerful passage, and I'll read it to you. He says this, and you can do it as I'm reading, follow what he's saying. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers and the soft music. You see the faces of friends and family. You pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing someone dear and the joy of having known them radiating from the hearts of the people there. But as you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral some years from today. All these people have come to honour you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. You look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first is your family, is from your family, to speak on behalf of all the extended family who have come from different parts of the country. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or your profession. And the fourth is from your church where you've been involved in service to the community. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you like them to remember? What difference would you like to have made in their lives? And when you read that passage, Stephen Covey then goes and invites readers to write down their thoughts. And uh, he, he's, he's written that in a chapter um, 
that I think is called uh, beginning with the end in mind. And so he's trying to get people to think long term, think of a vision or a goal of something you'd like to see and then work back from there and figure out, well, what can I do to achieve that? How can I live so I can see that fulfilled? And also, how can I be aware of the long-term effects of how I'm living life today? Because as we live each day, we're building a legacy. We're actually, you know, preparing for the future. And Isaiah would have done well to have gone through that exercise at some point in his life, to have thought, hey, where is this leading? I can feel that little whisper of pride saying I don't need to seek God, saying I can just be disrespectful and cruise on into the temple on my own. And that would have been a good check for him. And, of course, the legacy we all leave is is up to us, not just to fate and chance and circumstance. And like Isaiah and and the rest of the human race before us, one day we're going to pass on and there will be an epitaph about our life and we hope that our ending is different to Isaiah's, do we not? And his epitaph could have read so differently if he had stayed the course of being humble and faithful, keeping his eyes on God, not on himself or the trappings of his success. And it's not just about what we leave behind or thinking about when we die. Some of you are so young, you're thinking, flip, I'm thinking about my funeral. It's a long way down that track. Because it's about living today as well. To live with humility and to deal with pride is not just about setting us up well to finish well, It's about living well today because, as I said, pride keeps us from God. It keeps us from God's blessing. Living with humility keeps us in a place of blessing, keeps us forgiven, keeps us on track to fulfill our purpose and our potential. Amen? And so, you know, and and sadly, there are many lives like Isaiah that started out well but finished badly. They faded off. There's other kings from, you know, this time you can read about. You know, there's Cain killing his brother. There's King Saul. He was chosen to be king, but he died tragically. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. But we can learn from their mistakes. And then there are other people that we can learn from who started out badly but finished strong, that finished well. And and there's a good lesson. That's the opposite that you look to. Like Saul, not King Saul, the New Testament Saul, the enemy of God's church who ends up becoming the church's greatest advocate. That's a great story. Peter, he denies Jesus three times, but he's a pillar in the church. He's, he's forgiven. He repents. And, and, uh, and, and 2,000 years later, hey, he's got a pretty cool church built after his name, built right on top of his tomb called St. Peter's Basilica, the Vatican. That's a pretty cool building. That's a nice legacy. So it's never too late, in other words, to start living right for Jesus, to to get our heart right, to deal with pride. And so let's learn from Isaiah's mistakes. Let's not waver from a, a heartfelt, humble commitment to Christ. Let's avoid being you know, lured away by pride, by the trappings of worldly wealth. And, and you, you know, you've heard the cliches. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Life is not just a sprint, it's a marathon. And it's true. Uh, so let's keep running, yeah? Keep going to the finish line with humility. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at 
www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.